text words this morning will be from Matthew chapter 25 and verse 21. Matthew 25, 21. Let us look to the Lord once again in prayer and ask for his help in the preaching of the word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise and adore and glorify you. We praise you as the only true God. We praise you as the only and ultimate good, the uncreated good, to whom all created goods are subservient. And we long for the day as your people when we will behold your face in glory and when we will be there with our Lord Jesus Christ and the holy angels and all your saints of all ages. And we thank you for the glory that you have revealed to us and that you've bestowed upon us in Christ. And we feel today, and I feel as a minister, my inability to express these great truths of your word, but we pray by the grace and help of your spirit, would you please enliven the hearts and minds of us as your people to know something more of the love of God for us and to know something more of our future in Christ and that we may be motivated to live joyful and holy lives now in light of it. We pray for our dear ones here who are yet without Christ. Please convert them even this very day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text words in Matthew 25, 21 read, as it tells us, as our Lord Jesus tells us in this parable of the talents, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. One implication within this parable of the talents that our Lord Jesus gives, is this. He gives this statement of what it will be for all the people of God, for all those who are in Christ, when they enter into their final glory. He says here that the servant will hear these words, enter into the joy of your Lord. And I remind you, dear Christian, every one of you, by the grace of God, will hear these words, enter into the joy of your Lord. We have to keep this in mind all the time, and we need to be constantly reminded of this hope. God gives us reminders throughout the Holy Scriptures. And this is a great motivation in living for God's glory in this broken and fallen world and in the battle against our own indwelling sin. This makes all the difference to keep the end in mind. There was a man that you all know of who faced one day a dilemma. He had grown up with all the pleasures of this world, all the pleasures of sin within his grasp. He was highly educated. He was highly influential. And on one hand, he could continue the life he had lived and he could enjoy the pleasures of sin For a season, all the pleasures of sin you could imagine in the world, they were His and He could pursue them. On the other hand, He could follow Christ and His people and suffer affliction with Christ and His people. And if we're faced with this decision, the pleasures of sin in this world or Christ with suffering in this life left to ourselves, We'll choose sin 100% of the time. We will choose the fleeting pleasures of this world every time. 
But this man didn't. He chose Christ. He followed Christ. And why is that? It's because he caught a glimpse of the glory of God in Christ. He saw God who is unseeable with the human eyes. He saw Him by faith. And he caught a glimpse of final glory in Christ. And this made all the difference. And this glory was so great. Christ was so magnificent. God was so glorious and good that He was willing to leave behind everything to gain Christ and to follow Him. You know about this from Hebrews chapter 11. It's Moses in Hebrews 11, 24-27. Scripture tells us, By faith Moses, when he came of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Oh dear friend, you may be here today in the same condition that Moses was at one time and that we've all been in at one time. When you have been living in sin, you've been pursuing the pleasures of sin, and now you're confronted with the glorious Gospel of Christ. And every time you hear the Gospel, you're confronted with only two possible options. Continue in your sin, or leave it and follow Jesus Christ. And I pray today, oh, may God open your eyes, dear sinner, and may God show you the glory of God in Christ. And if you catch one glimpse of Him by faith, you'll be more than glad and willing to turn loose of your sins that you've treasured your whole life, that you may gain Christ. And may God do this in your heart this day. Dear believers, dear Christians, I wonder if you may be suffering in some way, or if you may be sometimes clouded by doubts. As in this present evil world, as a Christian, you face disappointment, you face struggles, you face pain and misery. You face afflictions, sometimes relational crisis, sometimes financial crisis, sometimes health crisis, sometimes psychological distress and depression and any number of difficulties and ills. Do you think sometimes, dear Christian, do you begin to lose hope and you think it's always going to be this way? It's like you're in a dark cloud, you can't see out of it. You think, how can I have any hope? I'm, I'm going downhill, my life seems to be falling apart, things seem to be going crazy, and there's nothing I can do to change it, and you can begin to lose hope. But God gives you this hope of final glory and I want to hold this before you this day as a hope and a motivation that things will not always be this way and just ahead of you, dear Christian, is eternal glory. With the Lord's help, I want to remind you of this that you already know and hold it before you as one of the most powerful motivations that God gives us to persevere now. Dear sinner, God holds this final glory before you as our Lord Jesus said in His parable, enter into the joy of the Lord. And we'll be unpacking what all that means. We'll, we'll get a small taste of it. God holds this before you, dear sinner. 
Just like a suitor, if he was pursuing a young lady to become his wife, that young lady wants to know, what's my future going to be with this man? What is my future going to be 10 years, 25 years, 50 years from now? I want to know where this ends up. Well, God doesn't leave you in the dark, dear friend, about where it ends up if you forsake your sins and trust in Jesus Christ. He tells you exactly what your future is. And not just to the end of this life, but unto the ages of ages, forever and ever. And this is a great motivation for you to come to Christ now. Dear believer, if you are in a state that you feel like you're losing hope, you're not alone. There's an entire psalm dedicated to this in Psalm 73 when the psalmist says he had almost lost hope. His feet had almost totally slipped. He saw the wicked prospering around him. He was suffering and he he said he looked around and he sees the righteous who can barely make ends meet. And then he looks out at the wicked who don't fear God, who don't worship God, and they're just prospering on every hand. They have an easy life and an easy death, but yet God's people have such great difficulty. And he said, my my feet had almost slipped. He couldn't understand, but then he said, I went into the house of the Lord, the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. It was only with... The eyes of faith looking to the end that the psalmist understood and was able to make sense of the situation now and come to grips with this, that it is okay if I suffer affliction in this life because I see the end of the prosperous wicked and I see the end of God's afflicted people. And I want to hold before you this end today. And our theme as we pursue this scriptural theme of human happiness. Our theme today is the saint's happiness in final glory. The saint's happiness in final glory. We'll see it in two basic thoughts. And both of these are comparative thoughts. They're comparing what this ultimate happiness is not. It's comparing it with those. And really that's Almost all of the way we can speak about final glory for God's people is to compare it to lesser things because it is so great that we cannot fully comprehend it and we cannot express it adequately in words. We'll see it in two basic comparisons. First of all, the happiness of God's people in final glory is infinitely greater than all earthly experiences. It's infinitely greater than all earthly experiences. Dear Christians, this final glory is greater than all your afflictions in this life. Even the heaviest afflictions. You may suffer now with heavy afflictions health-wise. As we've considered financially or psychologically or any affliction you could name. You may be tempted to think it'll be this way forever, but I remind you it will not be. And I give you an example in Holy Scripture of a man who suffered more affliction than any of us will probably suffer in our life. The Apostle Paul. As he lists his different sufferings to the Corinthians. As he suffered in body, and he also suffered emotional anguish and psychological anguish. As his very ministry partners and the men he'd invested his life in forsook him. 
as his own people, the Jews, hounded him and ruined his reputation among his people, lying on him. Always trying to get him thrown into jail and get him in trouble. And then false teachers coming into the churches he had planted and leading astray God's people. And he said, daily I have the care of the churches bearing down on me. And sometimes he said he was pressed out of measure. He said he had spent a night and day in the deep, in the sea, in a shipwreck. Imagine what that would do to your joints and do to your body out there in the cold ocean water. He had been stoned to death one time and they took him for dead. They thought he was dead and yet he crawled into the city and God raised him back up. Imagine what that did to his bones and the perpetual pain, potentially arthritis and other problems that the apostle would have suffered with because of these persecutions. If the apostle Paul were to take off his shirt and show you the skin of his back, he'd have at least 195 scars from deep flesh wounds. He names this to the Corinthians. He lists how many times he had been whipped and beaten for preaching the gospel of Christ. These were his afflictions, not to mention spending sentence after sentence in jail, in Roman jails, sometimes in horrible and filthy conditions. And yet this apostle Paul, in speaking of all these afflictions, he said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4.17, he calls them light afflictions. He says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Dear saint, this final glory that you will enter into at the last day will infinitely outweigh the heaviest sufferings that you ever feel in this life. This is why Paul says in Romans 8, 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I've told you before, and I remind you again of the words of our Lord Jesus in John 16, 21. This is another comparison for the Christian suffering in this life. Jesus said, a woman when she is in labor has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. Oh, dear Christian, the anguish may be upon you now. The anguish of afflictions and disappointments and sorrows may be so heavy upon you now that it's all you can think about. Just like a mother in childbirth, she can't think about anything else except the anguish she is in. It overwhelms her. You may be overwhelmed. But I remind you that one moment in glory, and then especially in final glory, one moment will infinitely outweigh all of that anguish, and the joy will forever drown out whatever suffering and sorrow you feel right now. It's greater, infinitely greater than all afflictions. This final glory, this happiness that you'll experience in final glory is infinitely greater than all earthly enjoyments. Take the best things in life that God has given as good gifts. Good common grace gifts that we enjoy. Think about intellectual joys. 
You may remember the first time you spontaneously read after learning to read in grade school. I remember as a little boy being in the station wagon with my mom and spontaneously reading the sign. I said, we sell for less. It was the old Walmart there in Hendersonville, North Carolina. My mom was overjoyed and I was overjoyed for the first time I read something on my own. You may know the joy of mastering the trade that God has called you to and the satisfaction when you're able to reason through and think through and you're able, you're able to apply what you know in a skillful way. These are all good joys from the Lord, natural joys. You can think about the joys of growing in moral virtue and as a, as a child, maybe you were cowardly and Maybe you're afraid of everything and you know the joy when you were able to overcome that fear. I remember my dad making me jump off of our front porch. It wasn't that high, but it was a high enough. As a little boy, as he, uh, he made me jump off the front porch into his arms. I was scared to death. And I remember when I landed in my dad's arms, I realized I braved it out. I trusted him. I, I jumped. What a good feeling that was. That's a good gift from the Lord. That's a good natural joy. Maybe you remember your first paycheck, and as Ecclesiastes tells us in 3.13, that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of his labor. It is the gift of God. You know the satisfaction and the natural joy there is in reaping the fruit of your labors. It's a great joy that God's given the joy of your graduation day, as Ecclesiastes tells us in 7-8, the end of a thing is better than its beginning. And after all those years and all that labor, you're finally finishing. And you're coming to the end and the completion. And you receive that certificate or diploma that symbolizes the completion of it. What joy there is. You can think about the joy of a wedding day. And as Scripture talks about in Isaiah 62, 5, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. And oh, what a joy there is in, in God's holy ordinance. In God's creation gift of marriage. And yet, in light of all these good gifts, this final glory infinitely outweighs any joy you obtain from these good natural gifts. Maybe you know the joy of becoming a parent. You have that first child, and I can never forget sitting there at 4 o'clock in the morning the first time I got to hold my firstborn son. There he was asleep on my chest, and the, the sun was coming up that morning over the Blue Ridge Mountains there out the window at the hospital, and I remember being so overjoyed at the experience of now having a son and becoming a parent. You know this, some of you recently, even from becoming a grandparent. What a joy it is. A created and good, natural joy that God has given. You know the joys of beholding the glory of God in creation. Looking up at a starry sky. Looking out over the beach at a sunset. Looking out over a canyon at all the hues and colors. You're caught up with the majesty of God's created handiwork and you're awestruck with the glory of God. You know what a joy that can be. The joy of sitting down to a 
Thanksgiving feast with family whom you haven't seen in a long time and you are there and you fellowship and you reunite and you enjoy God's good gifts together. These are just a few of the joyful experiences we can have with good natural gifts God has bestowed on us in life. And yet you take all of these and a million more and none of them even scratch the surface of the joy you will know, dear Christian, in final glory. It outweighs them all infinitely. Further than this, not only is final glory, the happiness you'll experience in final glory, greater than all your earthly afflictions and all of your earthly enjoyments, naturally speaking. It's also greater than all supernatural enjoyments you can enjoy on earth. When you're converted to Christ, God fills you with a joy that you never had before. And Peter speaks of this in 1 Peter 1.8 when he says of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see Him, yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. This is not to say as a Christian that you will feel joyful all the time, but what it is to say is the joy of being united to God in Christ and indwelt by the very Spirit of God exceeds all joys you've ever known in this life. And when you are converted to Christ, you think, I've just begun to live. I've never known joy and fulfillment like this before. This is supernatural joy that God gives. And John Owen speaks of it in this way. He says, when He, the Holy Spirit, so sheds abroad the love of God in our hearts and so fills them with gladness, this joy prevails against all fears and sorrows, filling it with gladness, exaltations or delights, and sometimes with unspeakable raptures of mind. Owen is reminding us of what Peter here calls joy unspeakable and full of glory. Sometimes you cannot even contain it. You can't even put into words what it is to know God and to glorify Him in Christ and by the Spirit. And this joy, this supernatural joy is so great that Christians are willing to die rather than to trade this for the joy of sin for a season. We read of this in Scriptures like Acts 5, where the apostles were persecuted. And it says that they called for them, and when they had beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. Here are apostles Peter and John rejoicing. They are joyful to be able to take a beating for Jesus Christ. They would rather be beaten for the sake of Christ than to be kings and princes among their own people. That's how great this supernatural joy is. It's so great martyrs can go to the stake and clap their hands while the flames are consuming their hands as one pastor did, to signal to his people that God's grace was sufficient in that hour. That's why young ladies, young Christian ladies, like the martyr Blandina in the Roman Empire can die 
a horrible, excruciating, painful death, and yet they said her face was like the face of an angel. It's because of this supernatural joy that God imparts to all of His people. And yet this joy is nothing compared to the happiness of final glory, which infinitely exceeds the greatest supernatural joys you could ever know on earth, dear Christian. It infinitely exceeds all earthly experiences. Secondly, this saint's happiness in final glory infinitely exceeds all other heavenly experiences. It exceeds the heavenly enjoyment of redeemed souls. Dear Christian, I remind you that the soul of your departed loved one in heaven is with the Lord. They are with the Lord. They are supremely happy. They're made perfect in holiness. And Hebrews tells us about them that they are the the spirits of just men or righteous men made perfect. They're there in supreme joy with the Lord, beholding the face of God in light and glory, as the Westminster Larger Catechism states it. And yet, the final glory that awaits them is even greater than this. Just think about what it's like for your departed loved one. And we know this, but it's good to be reminded, when we think of those who have died in Christ, it's never them who are to be pitied, it's us who are to be pitied. No longer do they have any struggle with sin. No longer do they have any pain or any sorrow. No longer do they face any disappointment. No longer do they have to repent. No longer do they feel the guilt and shame of sin. They're made perfect in holiness. They're there with the Lord. There's no sinful hindrance to their communion with their Lord whom they love so much. What a joyful condition they're in. John Bunyan describes this intermediate state, this experience of Christians who die and their soul goes to be with the Lord between their death and the final resurrection. He describes this in the Pilgrim's Progress in a far better way than I could. Bunyan spent over a decade of his life in jail, persecuted for his faith. He had time to meditate on the glory of heaven and to reach forward and hope in the glory of heaven because he was stripped of so many hopes in this life, but yet he had hope in the final glory to come. And Bunyan, using his sanctified imagination and drawing from the very language and teaching of Scripture, imagined it this way, as Christian and hopeful enter into heaven after suffering many persecutions and difficulties along the way. Bunyan says, the talk they had with the shining ones was about the glory of the place, who told them that the beauty and glory of it was inexpressible. There, said they, is the Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the innumerable company of angels, and the spirits of just men made perfect. You're going now, said they, to the paradise of God, wherein you shall see the tree of life, and eat of the never-fading fruits thereof. And when you come there, you shall have white robes given you, And your walk and talk shall be every day with the King, even all the days of eternity. There you shall not see again such things as you saw when you were in the lower region upon the earth, 
such as sorrow, sickness, affliction, and death, for the former things are passed away. You're now going to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, and to the prophets. The men then asked, what must we do in the holy place? To whom it was answered, you must there receive the comforts of all your toil, and have joy for all your sorrow. And you must reap what you have sown, even the fruit of all your prayers and tears and sufferings for the king. In that place you must wear crowns of gold and enjoy the perpetual sight and vision of the Holy One, for there you shall see him as he is. There also you shall serve him continually with praise, with shouting and thanksgiving, whom you desire to serve in the world, though with much difficulty because of the weakness of of your flesh. There your eyes shall be delighted with seeing, and your ears with hearing the pleasant voice of the Mighty One. There you shall enjoy your friends again that are gone there before you, and there you shall with joy receive even every one that follows into the holy place after you. There also shall you be clothed with glory and majesty." Christian and hopeful make that difficult crossing to the river of death and then they enter into the celestial city and he describes it this way. Now I saw in my dream that those two men went in at the gate and lo, as they entered, they were transformed and they had garments put upon them that shone like gold. There were also angels that met with them with harps and crowns and gave them to them the harps to praise with and the crowns in token of honor. Then I heard in my dream that all the bells in the city rang again for joy, and that it was said unto them, Enter ye into the joy of your Lord. I also heard the men themselves, that they sang with a loud voice, saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sits upon the throne, and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Now just as the gates were opened to let in the men, I looked in after them, and behold, the city shone like the sun. And the streets also were paved with gold, and in them walked many men with crowns on their heads, palms in their hands, and golden harps to sing praises with. And there were also of them that had wings, and they answered one another without intermission, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And after that, they shut up the gates, which, when I had seen it, I wished myself among them. Do you capture something of the glory even that departed souls are experiencing now? This is what this is describing. Our loved ones who have died in Christ, this is their experience entering into glory with the Lord even now. And yet, this is not yet final glory. Final glory even far exceeds this joy that we just read of and that Pastor Downs read to us from Revelation 21 this morning. What we've read of just now, rather, Revelation 21 does describe the final glory that exceeds this glory. What we've read of just now, of Christian and hopeful entering the celestial city, is not yet the full meal of final glory. It's just the appetizer. 
It's not yet the main event, it's just the opening scene, the opening act. The final glory is yet to come, and just like in our Lord's first miracle in John 2, the turning of water into wine, the wedding master was amazed. You've saved the best until last, and I remind you, dear Christian, our God always saves His best wine till last. And even for these souls in glory with the Lord now, The best is yet to come in this happiness of final glory. It exceeds their heavenly enjoyment, the enjoyment of redeemed souls. Thomas Goodwin points out and reminds us that this final glory exceeds all expectations of saints and angels. It's so great that saints who are with the Lord now, their soul is with the Lord now, they can't even fully comprehend the glory of final glory that awaits them the resurrection even angels who are super intelligent who who are powerful and intelligent beyond our full understanding they're so much higher than humans in that capacity even they cannot fully comprehend what what it will be to enter into their rest when they're no longer warring and no longer in their serving activity as they are right now but they are at rest in their final blessedness at the last day. Even they can't comprehend. Saints who were notable, who walked with the Lord in this life, and they've gone to be with the Lord in glory, they can't even comprehend final glory. Adam, who walked with God in the cool of the day before the fall, he can't comprehend it. Moses, of whom it said, there was not a prophet that arose since whom the Lord knew face to face. Moses, who saw a glimpse of the glory of God and it it made his face to shine so brightly the people could not even look upon him. This Moses, whom Scripture calls the friend of God, he cannot even fully comprehend the happiness of final glory. Apostle Paul, who was caught up into the third heaven and saw things that are not lawful to be uttered, who saw the resurrected Christ, on the road, on the day of his conversion, even Paul cannot fully comprehend final glory. Peter, James, and John, who were with our Lord Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, and when our Lord displayed His glory, the whole mountaintop in the middle of the night shone white as snow. What a glorious vision they saw. And yet even they cannot fully comprehend the happiness of final glory. This is life eternal. Our Lord Jesus said in John 17.3, This is life eternal that they may know You, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom You have sent. This is Your ultimate end, dear believer. This is when you will reach your final rest and your supreme happiness when you are perfected to the fullest of extent for the purpose God created you to know Him and enjoy Him forever. And it far exceeds all earthly and all heavenly experiences that precede it. This is the only way that you'll ever find true happiness. Dear sinner here today, 
You've been seeking to find fulfillment and human happiness in sin. And I pray that God reveals to you and shows you how miserable you are. I pray that God strips away all earthly comforts and the things that you do to mask and to numb yourself and shows you just how miserable you really are. It makes me think of the story about an auction one time, a house auction. One of the items was a violin. It's an old dusty violin. They were trying to get the auction going and they started bids for the violin. The room was full of people and nobody would bid on it. Nobody wanted it. It was just a piece of junk. There was an older man that walked up front from the back of the crowd and he took that violin and he began to tune it and he began to play it and he played such sweet and beautiful music that it moved the people to tears. He laid the violin down and immediately the bids started going up and up and up and the, the value of that violin skyrocketed. Somebody asked, who was that man? They said, he's the one that made that violin. That's why he was able to get such sweet music from it. Oh, dear friend, it is God who made you and He designed you, body and soul, to know God and reflect His glory and to enjoy Him forever. And this knowing of God in Christ by the Spirit is the only true happiness you will ever experience. And I plead with you to turn loose of your sins, to forsake your sins. To stop searching for happiness in sin. And to come to Him who is this Lord whose joy you will enter into if you come to Christ. Today, in light of what we've seen, this final glory outweighs all earthly, natural, and supernatural experiences, it outweighs even the former things in heaven before that day. How much more does this final glory outweigh the fleeting pleasures of sin? If it outweighs even the most beautiful and good and holy experiences in this world, how much does it outweigh the nasty, filthy, deformed, Nature of sin that allures you. This is what Moses found as he, as it were, took out the scale. And on one side, there's the, all the pleasures of this world. On the other side, there's Christ with suffering in this life and eternal glory. And Christ and His glory so far outweighed all pleasures of sin as much as if you put the Rocky Mountains on one side of the scale and put a feather on the other side of the scale, there was not even any comparison. And that's why Moses was able to go from riches to rags to follow Christ, and he had no regrets. This is a great motivation for you, dear Christian. Let this final glory and the happiness that you'll experience in it. Let this fuel your faith in Christ. 
Do you see, dear Christian, what Christ has died to purchase for you? He has died to unite you to God. And in uniting you to God, to bring you into His own glory and to enjoy Him in eternity. Christ died to purchase this for you. Our Father loved you and chose you from the foundation of the world, before the foundation of the world, as we heard earlier this morning from Pastor Downs. When was that decision made? When was it God wrote down your name in the book of life? When was it that He chose you? There is no when to it because this choice is as eternal as God, as timeless and eternal as God. God who is eternal without beginning and end, who transcends time has always loved and chosen you in Christ. And this is the end that He's ordained you to. Do you see something of how much God loves you? That He would bring you to this good of an end? Let this fuel your faith. Even in your failures. Even in your strugglings with sin. And oftentimes, sinning, dear Christian... Behold this love of God and let it fuel your faith. Let it fuel your hope in Christ. If you're in affliction, dear Christian, do you, I ask you, do you struggle with bitter thoughts against God? How could God allow this to happen? Do you struggle with thoughts of implying that God has been unjust? God has treated me in a way I don't deserve. He's treated me worse than I deserve. Do you struggle with that? All of us do at some point. And I encourage you, dear believer, to take hope that one moment in final glory will so far drown and so far smother out whatever these afflictions are, you'll never even have such a thought like that again. And I exhort you to repent of such thoughts and to take hope in God. Take hope in this final glory that He's laid up for you in Christ. Dear Christian who is in prosperity, who's blessed with abundance of enjoyments in this life, I exhort you, don't put your hope in earthly things. They will not last. And we're not meant to hope in anything in this world. We're meant to put our hope in God. And in His glory that will be revealed in the age to come. If you're taking hope in earthly things, whether it's even good things, good relationship or good created goods that God has blessed you with, if you're putting your hope in that, oh dear friend, repent and hold these gifts with a loose hand because they will go away. They're never meant for us to hope in. And your only lasting hope is your refuge in God as we sang from the psalm this morning. Hope only in God. Dear Christian, let this fuel your love. Let this cause you to live as a Christian a joyful and holy life for the glory of God. And this is one of the greatest motivations, final glory. And Scripture speaks of this. We'll see some more of this next week. But I don't know if you've noticed, as one of our young men, one of the, the ward boys, just... Shipped off this very day to go join the U.S. Marine Corps. And I don't know if you noticed in the preceding weeks and months the transformation that took place with him. 
as he set himself to running, he set himself to dieting and to working out and preparing himself. What was he preparing for? Well, yeah, basic training, but not really. You know what he's really preparing for? He wants to be a U.S. Marine. And you don't get the title of U.S. Marine until you finish basic training. You're a recruit up to that point. You receive the title of Marine at the very end after you pass. That's the good in mind. That's the good end he has in mind. And based on that good end, the glory of the U.S. Marine Corps that he desires, he disciplines himself and he prepares himself to that end. Oh, dear Christian, God gives you this hope of final glory and He calls you to prepare yourself. 1 John 3 tells us that because of this hope, we purify ourselves. And I just want to read to you the exhortations from Apostle Paul. This is how he applies it when he holds before the Colossians the glory and the status that they have in Jesus Christ. In Colossians 3, look how it's to fuel our love. Look how we're supposed to take all this hope of final glory and put it in shoe leather in everyday life. We're supposed to take all the weight and the momentum and the motivation of this final glory and let it control how you speak to your spouse, how you treat your children, children, how you treat each other and treat your parents, how we work, how we think, how we act, how we do every day. And Paul says this, you ever heard the statement, don't be too heavenly minded, you'll be of no earthly good. It's the exact opposite. If you're truly heavenly minded, you'll be of the greatest earthly good as a Christian. He tells the Colossians in Colossians 3, if you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. He's holding before them the hope of Final glory, as I've tried to do today, dear believer. And then he says this, Therefore, based on this hope of final glory, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves also walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie one to another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. Therefore, Therefore, based on the hope of final glory, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you, almost, uh, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ." But he who does wrong will be repaid for that which he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, give to your bondservants that which is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Paul is telling us that what we are to do with this hope that I've tried to set before you today is we are to use it to kill our sin and live unto righteousness in all these specific ways as a church together, in the home together, and in our life work in the job place. And I exhort you to do this, dear Christian. And dear sinner today, I remind you that as you've spent your whole life till now living in sin and living in the pleasure of sin, I remind you, as that pleasure is fleeting and it cannot satisfy, it's like you're trying to quench your thirst with salt water. I heard of a group of people one time who was stranded on a Pacific island during World War II and they had no food or water and they were dying of thirst and out of desperation they began to drink salt water to try to quench their thirst. But there's so much salt in that ocean water, it's impossible to quench your thirst. It'll, it'll drive you thirstier and thirstier and they died in a state of insane thirst. Raging thirst. The more they drank, the thirstier they became. Oh dear sinner, this is your life right now. But I hold before you the only true source of human happiness. The only water that can quench your soul. That is our Lord Jesus Christ who died for sinners and rose again. And just as He did for the woman at the well, as He gave her water that day that she would never thirst again, spiritual water to drink of, He offers to you this very day the water of life which is Himself. Come to Christ. Trust in Christ. You'll never thirst again. And you will enter into this ultimate happiness, into the joy of the Lord at the last day.